Welcome back to another episode of Speaking to Stacy, the podcast sharing practical advice for an action-driven lifestyle. My name is Stacy Liddell, and today I had the opportunity to speak with a personal trainer who has an incredible life story. Before I introduce my guest, I want to say a big thank you for taking the time out of your day to listen in and learn something new. If you found this conversation entertaining or useful, please could I ask you to share the episode with one other person. You never know the positive impact someone's story could have on someone you care about. This week, my guest is Jason Jeffcoat. Jason is proof that life is full of unexpected twists and turns. He currently works at a private gym in Cape Town, South Africa, helping his clients achieve their health and fitness goals. The three key takeaways today are 1. Why you need to use social media to grow your brand as well as your business. 2. How to set up a training program that matches you as an individual. And 3. Understanding the importance of innovation in challenging times. If you stick around until the end of the show, you'll find out about the benefits of sobriety. Jason explains how this lifestyle change has given him more energy, focus, and clarity. So without further ado, I present to you Jason Jeffcoat. Right, so we're back with speaking to Stacy, and I've got a very interesting guest today and uh, somebody that I've been trying to, to nail down for a week or so now. Jason, um, as is the custom on my show, would you like to introduce yourself and then we can roll from there? Sure, Stacey. Thanks so much for having me today, man. Uh, my name is Jason Jeffcoats. I'm 31 years old. I'm based in Cape Town, South Africa. Um, I'm a personal trainer um, in the mother city, City Bowl itself. And yeah, I'm uh, very stoked to be here. Thanks for having me today. Awesome. Cool. Nice, short and sweet. <laughs> Some people like to yeah. like to give their life story, you know, give give them a platform. Give them I'm a- sure we'll get into that. <laughs> yeah, I'm sure. Okay, cool, man. I guess where can we start? I like to ask most of my guests, you know, seeing as you're a personal trainer, how did you how did you get into personal training? What led you to get into personal training? Yeah, so it happened sort of by chance, you know. Um, I was always a sporty kid. I actually excelled in sport throughout school but event like my last couple of years of school I was actually knocked over by a truck which yeah it affected my my sports career severely of course but I'd broken both my knees fractured my hand skin grafting on my face um you know so there's a lot of damage done it took me a very long time to recover um but I think the biggest part of that is that I lost my sports career which was sort of my identity it's everything I knew. It's how I built friendships. It's how, you know, how I made my name. It's how people knew me. So it sort of took my identity away, which which was like a big shock in the beginning. And that was like my last couple of years of school, you know. So my last couple of years of school, I, I didn't really, I couldn't really play sport because uh, my top sports was rugby and uh, judo which is both two high-contact sports. So it wasn't possible anymore. Um, and, you know, I tried to go back into sport, but things didn't really work out well and I kept getting injured. Although I could still play on the same sort of level, the injuries would, you know, keep hindering me. Yeah, as time went by, I sort of, I, I almost lost myself, you know. Uh, like I realized it was no longer a possibility. And I started becoming like very involved in the party scene, excessively drinking, excessively eating, got really badly out of shape like the first year after school. 
but within that time, I, I landed my one of my first jobs, which was at Virgin Active, but as a receptionist. So it was like the, the sort of basic of a basic. It's really the easiest job to do. You swipe people's cards as they come in the gym. And that just sort of opened my mind to, to what this gym industry was. And I mean, this is 12 years ago. The, the fitness and health industry has grown so much over the time that I, that I've been within this industry. And this was like the first sort of experience I had into the fitness and health uh, side of things. Um, it sort of opened my mind, you know, I started training a little bit at the gym. I obviously had a, a free access membership, started getting to know a lot more people in the industry. And I almost idolized personal trainers at the time. You know, I was like, these guys are the kings, you know, like they, they're running the world here. So I always had that sort of motivation. And as I started training more, I started really getting into it, understanding more about fitness, nutrition, um, how this ties into sports, how it can be used beneficially in recovery from injuries, which is where I started to recover from the injuries. Um, worked a lot on my knees and this, this, you know, regaining my general strength, losing the weight I'd put on. It didn't stop the drawling at the time. I was still young. So I was still out and I was still out and about, uh, which isn't so much anymore, but uh, like we'll probably get into that later. Um, then I got, I got promoted into a sales position for Virgin Active, which was a big step up in the company, you know, really good salary. Uh, and commission-based medical aid and all the business. So, like, it, it gave, gave me a big boost in my life. Started living alone, started earning, started bought my first car, all the rest. And I then got promoted to a sales manager. I was the youngest sales manager in the company at that stage, and there was about 100 clubs at that point. And I excelled, you know. I was one of the, I was the best consultant in the country at the time. And also one of the youngest consultants got promoted to sales manager. And I soon realized that, you know, it, it, this wasn't where I wanted to be running a team, managing people, chasing numbers. It, it this didn't appeal to me. Um, although it gave me that boost in my life. Uh, I then left Virgin Active, went into property, uh, for a period of time, which I did pretty well at. Also a really boring job, a lot of waiting around for things to happen. And it, it this didn't sit well with me. At that point, I then decided to, I can't actually remember how this happened. I think it must have popped up on my Instagram feed or something of personal training course. So I was like, hmm, that's cool. Um, so this was an online course. Uh, sent the inquiry through. They got back to me, paid the fees. It was a pretty affordable fee at the time. I paid a cash up front with the money I'd saved. And yeah, that's how it all began, you know. So I did an online personal training course and that took me about a year to finish all of it. I got through it really, really quickly. Um, you could work it at your own pace and I qualified. I, I really excelled in it, which was funny because I really didn't do well in school. But obviously the interest that I, I had in fitness and health helped me to sort of show a lot of interest and obviously gain the knowledge. And pretty much as soon as I qualified, I went straight to Virgin Active um, and became a personal trainer, which was interesting because it was a month before lockdown started. So things got really tough, <laughs> which we can talk about if you want to. So that's how I've got into personal training. It's really been a, a big grounding around fitness and health in my life. Okay. Epic. That's awesome. So I just wanted to dig a little bit deeper into what happened with you in, in high school, if you don't mind talking a little bit about that. 
because I'm, I want to understand how specifically the personal training and the fitness side helped you overcome what seemed to be quite a hectic injury and accident that you that you suffered from the the truck accident that you described. So, is there anything sort of specific that helped you get things back together? I think as as a kid, as a younger guy, uh, I was always highly motivated. I was always in the sports. I was always in the center of the sort of activity hub, if you can call it that. And there, nothing would stop me. You know, I knew I knew what I was capable of, and that didn't change just because I was knocked over by a truck. But I, I suppose the knowledge that I gained through being in the gym industry showed me how you can actually overcome these type of things. I'd seen biokineticists working with working with people, no? people that would come in there in a wheelchair, and six months later they'd be on crutches, and six months from there you'd see them walking around and doing exercises. So, you know, like it was an eye-opener to me. So seeing these things firsthand uh, obviously helped me realize that you can overcome these problems, you know. You can come back from injuries, as I had. So I think this being exposed to the fitness and health side of a Virgin Active, where I was at the time, this helped me to see what, what I could overcome. Okay, makes sense. Another thing that you mentioned was that that sort of loss of identity because of being being associated with sports. It's just an interesting thing that you raised because I've spoken to a lot of sportsmen on this podcast and sportswomen as well. And something that's very, what's the word I'm looking for? Something that's very common amongst a lot of them is that after their sports careers end, a lot of them haven't really thought about the next step. And one of the biggest challenges about leaving that sports environment is that it's so deeply ingrained in their personality and their identity. It's like the death of a part of you. That is no longer, you know, an option for you to pursue. So it's just, I find it very interesting that you had a similar experience, although it was caused from like an accident versus uh, you calling it quits in your career in sports. Just thought that was a yeah, an interesting point. Yeah, you know, at some point I'd actually thought about this. Um, I thought to myself, what if I did become a professional sportsman, which I think really was on the cards. I, I do think I was well on that path. And I thought to myself, what if this happened? two years into my sports career or maybe it called it five years, you know, I might've been 23 years old and then it happened. Uh, I'd sort of try visualize what I had been able to bounce back from it. If I'd already taken that big step in the, in the sporting industry or how, you know, how would I have handled it? So I almost think that this happened at the right time. Uh, I can't say I'm religious, but I'm spiritual. And it was a message from our God, you know, there's a different path he wanted me to take. And this is where he's led me to help people. And that's essentially what this job is to me is I'm helping people on a daily basis. Don't get me wrong. I love what I do. I really, really do. But I think it's probably the helping people that gives me the love for this industry. Okay. That's great. Yeah. I'm sure my listeners know, but I did a, I did a PT course end of last year as well, just uh, I, you know, I've got a bit of experience. I did some bodybuilding. When was it? Back in 2015 and 2018 or 2017. I, I w- jumped on stage a couple of times, but um, very quickly realized that it, it was not the easiest lifestyle, a uh, very challenging way to live your life. And um, I've worked with some some personal trainers who've helped me along the way. And the ones that I felt were the best were the ones that have that kind of outlook where it's 
you can feel that sense of service and help to their clients. So that's that's a great message. I wanted to maybe talk a little bit about personal training. From your point of view, I want to know, like, how do you, when you're working with clients, you said that obviously, you know, you, your goal is to make an impact and, and help them change their lives. What is the way that you go about, do you have like a methodology, methodology or a philosophy of how you train your clients? Well, um, I actually started with a new client today. So I'll give you a sort of breakdown of how I go about starting with someone. So obviously different ages, different races, different fitness levels. There's so many different factors that come into this. And I think it is quite a quiet skill to know how to push someone, how hard to push them. And I figured out the easiest way to do this, right? So as I meet a, a new potential client, I would start asking them about their past fitness experience, where they trained, what they did, how they found it, did they enjoy it, didn't they enjoy it? Get all the basic things in place, you know. From there, I ask them what their current goals are. Very many goals or similar goals come in. They want to work their booty. They want a flat stomach, <laughs> tight arms. <laughs> so, like, I pretty much know what the answers are going to be a lot of the time. But sometimes they might, they're very different, you know. I get some uh, people that come into the gym, they're overweight, but they want to be stronger. You know, like, that's what I'm there for. I'm there to help for whatever reason. And how I then structure the training from there is the first session I work with someone is I like to do very basic exercises, sort of your standard exercises that you're always going to do, your squats, your push-ups, you know, all the basic things. And I let them do an exercise and I tell them once this sort of burn that, you, uh, that you're feeling reaches the point out of 8 out of 10, tell me once you reach 8 out of 10, are they, I, I'm counting the reps while they're while doing this. And the only way for me to know how this is feeling, if it's really burning, how far I can push them is by knowing once, let's call it when I'm on 30 reps and they tell me, oh, that feels like an 8 out of 10. Then I'm like, okay, cool. So it's realistically probably a 6 out of 10 because this person hasn't trained in a long time. But to them, this 8 feels like an 8. And then I know how to push them. So I'm like, okay, cool. 30 is your number. Now I want to add some weight into your squat which is probably going to half your reps down to 15. And we also going to be doing more exercises that once. So that's how I sort of structure the workout in the beginning stages. As I get to know the clients, I know how far I can push them based on facial expressions. If they're really sweating a lot, you know, how they're reacting to the different exercises I'm giving them. So I think it's also reading a person in the moment, you know, as well as the planning behind it. Okay. Excellent. Yeah, that's how I generally start. As I understand it, you basically establish a baseline. And then as your relationship develops with a client, you can obviously then individualize it and get more specific with that person. And you know exactly where, where you can take them from developing that relationship. Okay. Makes sense. Yeah, 100%. So I think exactly what you're saying, developing that baseline of where we're starting and knowing how hard I can push from that baseline. And every time just trying to push a little bit further, every ne- every new session, I'll try to push a little bit further than the baseline. And it's a bit of a trial and error. Sometimes people get a little bit exhausted or nauseous or whatever, but that's, you know, that's how we learn. That's how we learn each other. Another thing that, that you mentioned there that I find interesting is, is that you are asking the client for feedback because I remember when I started my 
bodybuilding training, I mean, I was clueless. I think when, when I first trained in the gym, I would have been about 16 years old. And, you know, I was just basically cookie cutter copying workouts from, you know, like bodybuilding magazines and that kind of stuff. I was just copying what the guys, Mr. Olympia was doing and those kind of things. Obviously, as I got older, I realized that how one person trains and how I train are completely different based on, as you said, there's so many factors that influence the way someone should train. And now the way that I go about it, like I'm helping a friend at the moment with his program just as a, as a favor to him. And everything that he does is completely individualized to his body type, his genetics. Um, and yeah, so it seems like you basically, you're kind of following that, that kind of model because you're allowing the client to dictate where their strengths and weaknesses might be on the bench press. They might say, Oh, I'm, I'm an, I'm at an eight after doing five reps. But then when they're doing their squats, they might say, Oh, I'm at an eight after reaching 20 reps. So it's not like you're prescribing, you're not prescribing set weights and set set numbers or rep numbers just off a sort of a copy and paste. hundred percent. Yeah, that's a good way to go. I wonder if we can stick in the personal training. Do you have any sort of highlights from clients in terms of people that have made, you don't obviously have to mention names because I'm sure they, they want to keep it private, but some big success stories of clients who've, who've really seen some epic progress and what that, what that was and, and how you achieved that? Yeah. I mean, my, my clients, I use my social media for my personal training and all my clients' progress and training styles are all, I advertise with my Instagram. So names wouldn't really make too much of a difference. But, you know, based on the question you're asking is, especially one person in particular that pops up, um, she came to me severely overweight. This girl could barely do a bodyweight squat. Walking on the treadmill was tough for her. It was, it was a big learning curve for me. I literally didn't know what I could do with this girl. So we, we had to start really slow. It almost had to start with stretching. I can't tell you the exact weight that she started at because she didn't want to share that. But she ended up losing uh, 48 kgs wow. over about about a year with me. Um, and now, I mean, this chick is doing deep squats now. She's running. She's boxing with me. Her lifestyle has improved. She hikes now. She goes on holiday to Mauritius and wears a costume on the beach. Yeah, she's opened her own dental practice now. Wow. Uh, yeah, so like this, the way her life has changed and how I've seen her grow over the year has been inspiring to me because I, I know how it feels to come back from holiday, right? And I haven't trained for three weeks and I have to go back to gym feeling slightly out of shape, not as strong as I was before I went on holiday, but having the fitness I had and that struggle of like, oh my word, you know, like I have to really push through here. And I can only imagine someone that can barely do a squat or climb on a treadmill, someone that I couldn't even get onto the ground to sit up because she can't get up to come as far as she's come has just been like so inspiring. And I think pretty much any client that has stuck with me for three months or more, I've seen massive growth in all of them. I mean, everyone's goals are slightly different. I've had clients that come to me just because they're feeling uh not confident about themselves, lack of motivation, not managing stress. And I've seen how all these things start changing gradually over time with exercise and consistency in the gym with me as well. 
I'm thinking of a, 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 a gay couple that trained with me and they also came to the gym. I mean, these two gents, they, they couldn't bench press, they dumbbell press four kgs per arm. Wow. I mean, it, it was ridiculous. Yeah. <laughs> and yeah, quite recently, they've been with me for almost two years now, but they are in incredible shape now. And they, I had one of the gents pushing a dumbbell pressing 40 kgs just the other day. Um, and his part, his partner on a similar weight as well. So it's just been, it's just so inspiring to see how people can grow. And I think with the, with the physical changes, there's a lot of mental growth that happens as well. These guys are super positive now. They are comfortable to go walk on the beach. They're comfortable to put on a vest and go sit in a restaurant. You know, there's just so many different factors of their life that have changed through this. And they thank me all the time. Like I come back from holiday and they, they come straight to me and they're like, we just want to say thank you so much. We have never felt so good on holiday away. Best holiday we've had. So there's so many things, man. I've had clients that have joined me, joined with me for, for challenges, uh, eight week challenges. I had a client win, uh, like a 10,000 rand voucher for first place ladies. She lost 30 centimeters around her stomach along with a lot of other changes. And these are all before and after photos that I have on my Instagram page as well that people can just go check. So, I mean, the, the sort of short answer to it is I've, I've seen massive results with a lot of my clients. Um, I can't take all the credit for it because they're the ones that show up and do the work. Um, but I can say I, I do have the knowledge that it's, that's necessary to get people there. That's awesome, man. It's so, it's so heartwarming to hear those kind of stories because personally, you know, I, when I left school, I was playing rugby, but then I hit a bit of a rough patch in my second year of university. And then I had some injuries, so I wasn't playing sports and I lost quite a bit of weight. And I got to a point where I was just like stick thin, uh, wasn't eating properly, wasn't training. And I met, I met a guy by the name of, of Richard Morris and him and I became mates through work and he encouraged me to get back into training. And look, I mean, I was never really out of shape, but I certainly didn't look great with my shirt off on the beach. I was skinny and I, I, I really had like no muscle. I experienced a, a ton of those mental changes that you're talking about. I was really like in a rut when I started training and quite quickly, I think maybe three or four months in, the mental aspect of my life started changing quite quickly. And from there, so much else seemed to become possible. So for me, just a personal experience, I can resonate with with what those people have experienced to some degree because, and I always say this to people, like if you're feeling slightly sort of out of sorts and you don't get enough sleep and you don't have a training um, regimen, those are the first two like simple things. They're not easy to do, but they're simple in terms of, it's not like, I'm not, it's not rocket science to say you need to get more sleep and you need to train. Absolutely. Yeah, but I think a lot of people underestimate how powerful it is to have a a fitness regime and a good night's sleep. Exactly. Following on from that, talking about success and your clients, when you study to become a personal trainer, is there a course on like nutrition as well? And are you allowed to give nutrition advice in South Africa and not be a nutritionist? Or do you have to have like special qualifications in order to advise people on their food? 
So I did do a nutrition course. I did sports nutrition. So I have a really good foundation around eating and sort of macronutrients that's necessary. But to answer the question, yes, you do need a nutrition uh, certificate in South Africa in order to give uh, advice or even a, a plan to follow. So that is necessary. I did do sports nutrition and with my personal training. Okay. Maybe a bit of a technical question. What like what qualifies for advice? For example, if a client asks you, just by the way, I want to go for pizza tonight. Is that a good idea? If you say, look, if I were you, I would skip on the pizza, but you can try this and that. Would that, class, would that qualify as advice? Would you get in trouble if you weren't uh, certified for that? No, not at all. Um, I think it's more along the lines of giving someone specifics. Like, yeah, I'll go have these nuts and do that and eat this and something that's almost documented. That's a, a formal way of following. Okay. But this giving out advice, it's okay, but it, it can be damaging both to personal trainers as a whole because the wrong advice could be given if the person doesn't have the right knowledge that's necessary. So if I didn't have a sports nutrition degree, I would probably be a little bit more careful around handing out free advice. Okay. And just linked to that, how, how does – I wonder how the regulators – control that with the with the explosion of social media because i mean you see so many guys and girls on on social media basically obviously they can put disclaimers in there like this is not uh, advice you must go consult your doctor and stuff but there's a lot of unqualified for those of you who everyone is listening they didn't see it i kind of put it in air quotes because i mean there's a lot of people who know a lot about nutrition that aren't qualified nutritionists that are giving out advice online and then sort of putting disclaimers there do you think the, the the regulators are concerned about that kind of stuff or do you think it's just it's hard to control i think it's more uh no i don't think there's anyone that actually monitors any of these things it's more someone that is qualified that would get upset um i think it would be a very hard thing to go and report someone saying this person's doing this and this and this you know it would be more be someone like a dietitian that studied for four or five years that sees these things and knows that this person's speaking a bunch of nonsense and, you know, publicly airing it on social media. And this person has studied, has the knowledge and makes a living from doing what they do. So uh, to, uh, to answer the question, I don't think there's any regulation around it. Neither personal training, other than going to a big gym like Virgin Active, where they actually ask for your qualification. But I've known of people that have gone personal training with no qualification which is dangerous in itself. If you injure someone you, and worse things could happen, you could get locked up for that. Yeah, that's true. I just think you've got kind of like this new world that has emerged with social media and the internet, and you've got the kind of the old world who's, who's like trying to maintain the, the order from of like the older system, which I think it's almost impossible. Uh, there's going to have to be mm-hmm. something done for them to catch up. Yeah. And I think what you said about the, the, the dietitians and stuff also makes sense because – I think the answer for them is they need to learn how to leverage those platforms and kind of be the voices that are heard. That's the way to do it. You've got to learn how to to be, uh, to be market yourself and, and get your name out there and, and be the, the person that everyone goes to. Exactly. I mean, I work in a private personal training gym, so I don't have feet through my door. And it's how I gain all my business, you know, uh, through social media and marketing. Um, of, of course, I get some referrals. But it's usually through people that follow me, see what I do, watch my stories, see how my clients train. That's how I gain my business. 
So I definitely do leverage off my social media. I'm sure you're familiar with James Smith, the the big like uh, yeah, I love him. British British guy who lives in Australia. Yeah, he's. I mean, geez, if anyone's learned how to to use that model to the advantage, it has to be him. He's done so well with with social media and things like that. Yeah, I wanted to ask you after speaking about successful clients, what, in your opinion, causes people to fail most of the times? What are the common things that people do that kind of get get in, in the way of them reaching their goals? Uh, a lot of times is expecting to walk in the gym and two weeks later to be in a beach beach shape or beach ready, should I say. Also, not following guidelines. You know, it isn't how you come to the gym and you go home and eat three pizzas. Uh, they all tie hand in hand, just making general healthier choices. Also, the gym is a small part of this. Like mm. your daily activity, involuntary activity, plays a massive role in getting results. Someone that's hitting the gym for an hour and a half every day of the week that sits on their ass and sits behind a computer and does 2,000 steps for the day, this person's probably going to be overweight. You need to have activity throughout a day in order to sort of maintain a metabolism to increase BMR, usage of calories consumed, calories in versus out. So th- there is a lot of different factors. I think what the probably the biggest one is this impatience around getting a result. Um, I think what people need to realize, how long did it take you to get in the shape that you are and looking so bad? It didn't happen overnight. Neither is the results going to come overnight by this coming to the gym for a couple of sessions. It's going to take time to get there. Yeah, that's true. I think um, we live in a culture where, you know, most of the time you can click your fingers and you can get what you want. Um, you know, you can jump online, you can order your food online, you can get your clothes online if you want to. And the truth is that when it comes to fitness and training, it's the boring stuff that works and people don't want to hear that. <laughs> people want the silver bullets. <laughs> 100%. Just a quick recap on that. It's basically being patient and not expecting instant gratification, sticking to the plan. And then yeah, um, realizing that training is a small aspect of the overall process of losing weight diet is probably going to be a much bigger factor as is the things you do outside of the gym like you said if you're going to be sitting at a desk for eight hours a day you then need to kind of think of ways to increase your your calorie output for the rest maybe that's going for an evening walk or run or whatever it may be that you can try and increase your absolutely calorie burn okay okay cool that makes sense when when a client is struggling like that what is your way of, of motivating people and getting them back on track? Setting smaller goals, you know. Um, if a client comes to the gym and wants to get stronger for whatever reason, let's maybe use weight loss as an example. It's probably one of the biggest things that we get as personal trainers. You might not see this on the scale, right? But there's a few different ways that you can track it. You can do body fat percentage. You can weigh them, of course. But you can also do measurements and the, the scale might even stay exactly the same. This has been the case with one of my clients. Scale stays exactly the same, but pant size has dropped. Waist size has obviously dropped quite uh, substantially. So looking at measurements and setting smaller goals and saying, okay, so you want to get fit and healthy, you lose weight. Let's maybe work yourself towards a 5K run and see how that goes, you know. Um, if they can only reach 2Ks, once they reach that 5Ks, it's a goal achieved. So there's smaller uh, smaller goals along the way 
to this ultimate goal that they have of being beach ready to go to Mauritius in a year from now. So setting small achievable goals along the way to keep the client motivated is really important for me. Okay. Another thing you touched on there, something that I've learned over the years just from personal experience and from the course that I did is the scale isn't always the best, as you said, isn't always the best metric to base your health on. Like, for example, uh, another thing that people get fixated on is like body mass index. And I'm sure you know that a guy who trains and is very muscular will show up as overweight or sometimes even obese on a BMI test. But in actual fact, he's really healthy and just in good shape. But the test obviously is geared towards untrained individuals. Yeah, yeah, it's it's important to understand which metrics are important when you when you're on that road to to losing weight. Yeah. Oh, another thing I wanted you to talk about is what is your what is your thought around like rest and recovery? Is that something you emphasize heavily with your clients? Because just from personal experience, I used to think that kind of was not as important as the actual training and the dieting and that kind of stuff. And then as I've gotten older, I realized the rest and the recovery is actually just as important as the training is. And so I prioritize my rest and recovery now. Yeah, it definitely is important. I mean, I know this myself because because of the hours I work, I struggle to get in enough sleep and I know how it affects my training and my body as a whole. So, I mean, I, I need to be at work some mornings at 10 to 5 and I only get home some evenings at 8 p.m. So it's very hard to get that rest. And I do, I do emphasize it to my clients that they need good enough rest. So rest between sessions. So not training five days a week. I do, however, have some people that train with me five days a week, uh, but we change the training. So I'm not going to do five weight sessions with this, with this client in a row. I'll do a weight session. The next day I'll maybe do cardio abs. Uh, then I'll do a functional session, then I'll do another weight session and what, you know, whatever the case may be, however we structure that person's program. But rest is vital. It's very hard to install, but I, I do speak about it often while I'm busy with my clients. Yes. I can imagine as a personal trainer, the hardest thing about the job is not when you have them in front of you. It's when they're out there in the wild on their own and you don't know what they're doing. You've got to trust them to, to stick to the plan. Yeah. So I was actually going to say this. I think the building the trust within the gym and the person trusting me helps a lot in a sense that when I say something, they believe it. It sounds stupid when someone tells you, if you sleep enough, you're going to lose more weight and you build more muscle. Um, if you don't trust this person, you're not going to do it. But because of sort of my background in the industry, because of the clients I have worked with and the track record I have, people trust me. So I've built that, that level of trust in the industry. That when I tell someone something that they can know it is true. Um, so that does help a lot. Okay, perfect. Because if you don't trust your personal trainer, even if it's only subconsciously, you're not going to take what they say seriously and you're probably not going to stick to the plan. So that's a very good point. Yeah. A thing that I wanted to ask you, because you're in the industry and you and you do this, this work on a daily basis, I subscribe to a few journals, I guess, uh, like science journals for training specifically. Mm -hmm. um just to try and just to try and keep up to date with things how do you guys keep up to date with with the latest scientific information that's coming out is it like other professions where you're expected to do like con continuous professional development or is it less stringent in that regard 
tough question to answer. At Virgin Active, for example, working as a personal trainer, they require you to require you to go do your your medical every two years. So keep up to date on your first aid certificate. And they also do encourage doing courses through the company itself at Virgin Active, whereby they allow free free access to courses to better your knowledge. Uh, specialize in different group classes like CrossFit training or functional training or abs classes. So they offer these things. But no, it isn't a requirement as a personal trainer working in a private gym to do this. But it obviously is important for, for our growth in the business. I guess it comes down to how far do you want to take this? How good do you want to be? And the more people I work with in my experience, the more knowledge I gain. Because uh, I have people come in with different challenges. One person will come in with a shoulder injury that we need to work around. I need to go sit down and do research and exercises to do that don't impact the shoulder, but still bring results. I have clients that come in the gym that struggle to lose weight. And we're doing all the right things. We're all the basis in place. We need to figure out why. Go do research and refer them to a medical professional that knows them or knows what they're doing. A thyroid plays perhaps a big role in someone not losing weight. So through experience, I've gained a lot of knowledge and done a lot of research that's helped me with the experience I have so far. Okay. It's just so difficult. I try and keep in touch with it. And one of the big problems that I find is even the research that comes out, a lot of it is you've got to read it so carefully because, for example, there was a, there was a paper that came out, was it yesterday or the day before? It was talking about people who do intermittent fasting and what it means for like muscle protein synthesis. So there's been an ongoing debate about whether or not intermittent fasting is optimal for muscle growth. And a lot of people have been saying, well, it surely can't be because your feeding window is too small for you to maximize the amount of protein that you can synthesize from your diet and all that kind of stuff. Then the study came out debunking that and saying, no, we're finding that doesn't really impact muscle protein synthesis. But then you kind of have to read it very carefully because it was done with untrained individuals. Now, the problem with that, someone who's untrained is going to probably respond to a gym program regardless of what diet they're on because their body isn't used to training. So if you stick someone on a three-month gym program that's never trained before and you make them do intermittent fasting versus someone who's been weightlifting for 10 years, it's going to be completely different outcomes. Yeah, so that's like the one thing I, I, I struggle with when I look at the research is that, okay, it's great that you've that they've come across these things, but it sometimes doesn't seem to impact or apply over to clients who have been, especially advanced lifters. I think advanced lifters are the hardest people to train because they're kind of at their maximum natural potential, and it's it's difficult to find ways to get more out of them. Hundred percent, yeah. All right, maybe some practical things for somebody who's like just starting out and has no idea what to do in the gym. What 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 tips would you give to? to someone who's like kind of getting into it the first time? So for a personal trainer that's just qualified and is just stepping into the industry, number one, you've got to be in shape. I mean, you're not going to hire someone that's not in shape himself. So very important, be in shape. And specialize in something, you know, be known for something in the gym. Um, so your training is going to play a very big role. Um, when I started out in the gym, I made myself visible all the time. I would train in the slots, like call it 4 p.m., when I needed to pick up a client. Most people operate their lives on routine. If you're training at 4 p.m., you're going to be seen training at 4 p.m. 
the people that see you training at 4 p.m. is probably one of the people that you'll have join your 4 p.m. slot. If that makes sense. So you've got to be in the gym all the time. You've got to be seen. Be seen training. And for someone that isn't going to a mainstream gym like Virgin Active and you don't have feet through the door, uh, you're going to have to leverage off your social media. When I started on a personal training lockdown, it hit which then essentially meant gyms closed for a big period of time. And I eventually managed to get a private gym where I was able to operate from. And I had to start using my social media. At the time, I only had like something like 700 followers, and I really had to start pushing it hard, but it did work. Um, what I did is I would take videos of my clients' training. I tagged them in the videos and asked my clients to reshare. It then brought me a lot of followers into my onto my page and essentially it brought me clients in the end. Um, so I think that is really important. And if you're using your social media, also share some knowledge. Share some knowledge for free. Uh, that also helped me a lot. Other than that, yeah, I mean, just be willing to put on the graph there. Be willing to be that 5 a.m. and just be seen in the gym, even if you're not working. Be willing to leave that gym at 8 p.m. just to be seen even if you're not working. Um, I think that's the biggest thing. I made sure I was in that gym all the time. If someone thought of a personal trainer, I was the person that needed to be thought of. Do you know a personal trainer? Yeah, this is a personal trainer that's always at the gym. That, that's how you've got to be known in this industry. There's also so many different personal trainers. Is it extremely competitive? Because there seem to be, obviously, there's so many trainers around. I can imagine it's, it's competitive. From your personal experience, what is the competition like in the industry? There's a lot, there's a lot of trainers. Um, I think it also might, may seem like more to me because I'm on the ground and I'm working with health and lifestyles every day. But for example, at Virgin Active, uh, the branch that I did work at initially, we had 30 personal trainers, three zero. It's a lot of P, it's a lot of PTs for someone to have to choose from. So you really got to stand out. So it is competitive in that sense. Yes. But I know a lot of people that you could ask if they know personal trainers and they'd say no, and I mean, other than myself. It isn't saturated in that sense, but if you're on the ground, there's a lot of us around, yes. We all know each other. It's a small industry in that sense. I wanted to ask you some questions about lockdown and COVID and things like that. And then also, I'm, I'm interested to, because we've done quite a lot of the formal stuff, interested to talk a little bit more about what some of the stuff you mentioned in the beginning about your, like, your party days and sort of things around that and like how what what changed for you so you said you became a personal trainer right before lockdown started a month before lockdown yeah wow okay so can you can you walk us through that like how how did that experience go because i can imagine that must have been tough yeah so um to give you a sort of bit of idea of why it was tough is as a personal trainer obviously we need to be present in order to make money we have to train people so the gym's closed and we also had a rental. So in order to work at a, a Virgin Active, at the particular branch I was working at, the monthly rental is 14,000 Rand. That's just to work there. They don't give you a client. They don't help you find clients. They don't do anything for you. So there's the really stress of that, you know. So coming there in your first month, you've really got this overhead of 14,000 Rand looking at you, never mind your normal day-to-day expenses. And yeah, it was challenging because then gyms closed. I didn't have the feet anymore. Everything was locked down. Gyms didn't open for another five months, I think it was, if I can remember correctly. And I had to find different ways of making my revenue. So I used my social media and I started training a lot of people online via video, which 
funny enough, I got some of the best results out of my clients in the lockdown period, which was insane. I would, uh, if you asked me that before, I would have said that clients weren't going to get results via video, but doing it and gaining that experience was, was amazing. Cause like I say, I really did get some of the best results out of my clients in that period. Why do you think that is? What do you think the, the reason behind that is? It's hard to say, but I think it's because there was nothing else happening. People weren't going out, eating shit at restaurants, drinking all the time. I think it's just that there wasn't much else to do other than focus on your health, fitness, stay healthy, especially in COVID. So that's probably why. Yeah. Do you know what's interesting? In South Africa, correct me if I'm wrong, didn't they also make it like illegal to, to buy alcohol and cigarettes and stuff at, at like certain times during the, the lockdown? Yeah, 100%. Yeah. There's no alcohol or cigarettes for sale. Okay, so maybe just a, a lucky combination of things. I know, I mean, obviously, let's not pretend that people weren't drinking and smoking. I think the people that wanted to get their hands on booze and cigarettes, they, they found means and ways to do it. But I think the average kind of person who maybe thought to themselves, this is a good time to take my fitness seriously, was probably a perfect, perfect storm to get something something positive done. Yeah. Yeah, it was an interesting time, man. Eh? <laughs> I get like visibly, ang- not anxious, I get visibly sort of tensed up and I have too much energy if I, if I can't train. And here, I, I live in South Korea, so here we, we had gym closures for a while and yo, I, I struggled. Um, and then I had a knee, a knee operation to sort, to sort out an old injury. So I was out of the gym, I think, for four or five months as a result. And at the end of it, I was like pulling my hair out. So... Yeah, I think it was a, a tough time for a lot of people that couldn't get to gym. So I'm not surprised people turned to the online. Absolutely. Yeah. Jason, before we wrap up, thank you so much for giving up your time. We're almost ready at, at the hour mark. It's gone so quickly. I wanted to ask you, you mentioned talking about like your, your partying days and stuff. Did something significant happen that caused you to slow things down? Or was it a gradual progression? You got older, you got more mature and you grew out of it? Or what What kind of changed you? Because from my perspective, I've, I'm kind of the same. Like I, in my 20s, <laughs> I partied really, really hard. As I've gotten older, it excites me less to do those kinds of things. Like I don't get as excited to, to just go out and get smashed for no reason. And then also like with doing this show and I, I'm studying at the moment as well. So with having other priorities, it's forced, almost forced me to, to slow down a bit. And I'm really grateful. Like, I, I think that if you party a lot and you party hard, it really can take away a, a lot of your competitive edge for, for certain things. Yeah. So I just wanted to find out from you, like what, what caused that transition? So there, there was something that happened uh, that actually led me to sort of change my way of living. We had a five, five-year high school reunion, the school that I finished that matriculated at. I went to this high school reunion. Everyone was drinking, of course. We hadn't seen each other in five years. You know, something happened within that night. And uh, I took a, a knock to the head. Someone hit me in the temple and knocked me unconscious. It was a fight that broke out. And they kicked me in the head, you know, locked me in my car. I got found two days later in a coma, not remembering anything that happened. So I had to be rushed to hospital on advanced life support and had to undergo brain surgery. And others, you know, at that point realized this going out and drinking and this environment that I didn't want to be in any further. So I think that was a big turning point for me. But also this industry doesn't allow for stuff like that. 
Um, I can't be going out to Caprice in Cape Town on a Sunday night if I have to be in the gym at 5 a.m. for my clients on a Monday morning. Also, I'll very often on a Saturday at work, so it doesn't allow me to go out on a Friday night. Uh, so I've completely sort of changed my lifestyle around that. I don't drink at all anymore. Um, I, do, I do go out. I do have a good time. But it doesn't involve the same things that it used to. And I, I love my life more than I ever did before. Do you not drink at all? Zero alcohol? Zero alcohol. Wow. Okay. That's, this is now really interesting to me because I recently stopped drinking in October of last year. I did Sober October just I do it every year. Um, it's just something that I've done since 2019. Just a good time to to give my body a break. And then this year, I just kind of thought, you know what? Uh, let me see what will happen if I don't drink in November. And then November led to December. December is now January. And I haven't had a drink for over 100 days. It's very difficult for me to describe to people just how good I feel and just how productive I've been. I wasn't drinking that often maybe once a weekend and Mm. if that but every now and again like pushing it because i was doing it often enough i didn't realize how much energy was taking away from my overall life it felt normal to kind of be in this 80 percent 80 percent energy kind of environment and now it's it's just incredible what taking booze out of the equation has done for me personally um so it's very interesting that you that you don't drink so how long how long has it been that you haven't had a had a drink so I stopped for a good period of time and I, I sort of drank here and there in between. But I made a call. My dad, my dad's been a severe alcoholic for most of my life. And I think it also promoted me to make the call that there's a potential that that could be me in the future. And I made a call that I don't touch alcohol again uh, due to that fact and also why it happened to me and the fact that it serves no purpose in my life. I get a high from going to go dive in the ocean, uh, snorkel, free dive, surf. So those are the things that give me the high that people are getting from going out. Since that day, it's been about seven months. And my life in the seven-month period of not drinking at all has grown more than I can even explain. Um, so many different opportunities coming my way. Our business has grown massively. Uh, my financial situation is really strong. So, yeah, my, my life is growing massively from it. Obviously, it's my choice, and I, I don't tell anyone else that they need to do this. But if people ask me, I tell them how, how well it's done for me. You know, Just interested to find out from you. I'm lucky in a sense out here that I don't have a massive friend group that that puts pressure on me to like socialize and drink and things like that. Did you find people treating you differently when you stopped drinking? Did you have to cut ties with some mates and things like that? To be 100% honest, yeah, a lot of mates weren't mates anymore when I wasn't drinking. A lot of the people I was hanging out with were drinking buddies. And the people that were really close to my life and actually showed an interest in the person I really am stuck around. It doesn't matter to them, you know. But I can say almost 80% of the people that were there before aren't there anymore. Interesting. I think it's difficult for both groups. For me, it would be difficult to want to go and sit in a pub for four or five hours with everyone while they're drinking and I'm not. Mm. And then for them, I think it, it's awkward. Do we invite Stacy? He doesn't drink. Like, is, is he going to feel comfortable coming to the pub? So I think, yeah, I think it's difficult for, for both parties to, to reconcile that. From what I understand, it seems like you kind of 
you've swapped out drinking and you've filled it with other activities that that you kind of get a kick from. Has that kind of been your secret? Absolutely, yeah. Um, I think I have, I, I still do these things. I still go to a pub every now and then. I go watch the rugby with, with mates or uh, go to a restaurant for someone's birthday or, you know, wh- whatever the case may be. I still, I'm still involved in these activities. I think the difference is, is that I don't stick around. So I go there for the purpose of whatever it might be. And I get out, you know, I don't stick around like I used to drinking. I mean, when you drink, you can stay there for 10 hours if you like. Um, if you're sober and standing around it, around the situation, people are starting to get drunk, it becomes very uncomfortable. I do these things, but a lot less and for a shorter period of time. But I've found many other things in my life that fulfill me. Just before I came into this podcast, I was actually just off, uh, off, off Camps Bay diving or free diving. Rushed home, jumped in the shower and jumped into the podcast. So I have found amazing things that fulfill me. Okay. That's awesome, man. Such a positive message. I'm glad that, I'm glad that I only asked you this at the end because, yeah, I think it's something that I've been recently also been thinking a lot about and, I, I'm just so busy at the moment with everything that I'm doing that I, I haven't really had a chance to stop and think about getting FOMO or things like that. like that. That in the past was always my big problem. I kind of partying and going out and drinking was filled up quite a lot of my weekend time. If I wasn't doing that, that's what all my mates would be doing. And then I'd be the one, you know, you're the one sitting at home and you, you kind of like, shit, what is everyone else doing? And like, it's quite a sad thing to say, but I didn't really have like hobbies outside of socializing and meeting up with mates absolutely yeah yeah and so now like i just i started running recently that's kind of something that i I didn't have time for before because i would either be hungover or just out with mates um this podcast would i don't think would be possible if i was still in my party phase because just the days where i have to get up and have to do editing and it's the last thing you want to do when you have a raging headache from a night out so absolutely yeah i'm stoked to i'm stoked to have spoken to you about that I'm glad you asked because it really is a big part of my life. And yeah. over, like I say, I mean, before the seven month period when I was, when, I mean, seven months I've been drinking at all. Before it was very seldom. And in this period of call it five years, my life has changed massively. It really brought a lot to me. As I say, I don't tell everyone that they need to do what I'm doing. But for me, it's made a massive difference. I wanted to ask you, have you ever watched the huberman labs podcast by any chance with andrew huberman no i haven't if you have time go on there and watch i'll maybe send you a link he's a a neurologist that i think works a lot with like the visual cortex basically sort of like the relationship that our eye has with the brain and like how they impact they impact each other because of the work that he does he's he does all various things that impact the brain and one of his the reason why i continued with sober october was i watched his episode about alcohol and its effect on the brain, it blew my socks off. It's incredible how damaging it is without realizing it. And it doesn't take a lot. It takes like a couple of drinks and your brain starts really being put under quite severe stress from alcohol. Yeah. Yeah, I'll send, I'll send you the link. And I'll also put in the show notes if anyone is interested, if they're considering slowing down and drinking. I wonder if you could just let the, the listeners know um, before we wrap where they can find you online, how they can get in touch with you if, if anyone's looking or interested in, in joining you as a client. Um, yeah, feel free to, to please punt your socials and or your website or anything like that. Sure. 
So I'm actually busy at the website at the moment, which will be under my LinkedIn tree on my Instagram. Um, the easiest place to get hold of me at the moment would be my Instagram is what I use majority for my business. Uh, my tag is J, J-A-Y-F-I-T. Um, so it's J-Fit. So you'll find me on there. And then I use my Facebook here and there. Just my name and my surname, Jason Jeffcoat. Uh, but your yeah, best place to get me would probably be on Instagram. Okay, perfect. I'll I'll link to the to the account in the show notes as well. And then when the episode goes live, I will tag you awesome. in the clips and things during promotion. So you can share it on your end as well if you want if you'd like to get it in front of your clients and things like that. Amazing. Okay, awesome, man. Uh Jason, anything else you'd like to add before we wrap up? No, man. I'm happy. I think we pretty much covered everything that I thought we would. And yeah, just thank you for having me on the, the podcast today. Really enjoyed it. Awesome. Thank you, man. As we come to the end of this episode of Speaking to Stacy, I want to say a big thank you for listening all the way through. I hope that you found some value in Jason's insights. Before you go, I have one last favor to ask. Please remember to subscribe to Speaking to Stacy. That way, you'll never miss new episodes. And if you enjoyed this conversation, please leave a rating and a review. It helps others find the show. Remember, the more the show grows, the easier it is for me to continue to bring you beneficial content. In next week's show, I sit down with retired professional footballer, Ryan Buerta, and we talk about his journey through sport and his life now as a gym owner. I hope you enjoyed the show today, and I'm looking forward to sharing this experience with you again next week. Until then, keep well.